0: This is the Canty and Carlin podcast.
2: Inside Randy Scott, I'm Michelle Smallman. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And you can always join in on the conversation on the Canty and Carlin call line 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888 729 Three seven seven six, And we welcome in Chris Canty, the host of this fine program right now. And Chris, we need to start with the breaking news that's developing right now out of Cincinnati. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow was carted off practice today, uh, carted off the field, excuse me, with a calf injury. His head coach, Zach Taylor, said he suffered a calf strain. We don't have any more information yet, but Zach Taylor added that Joe Burrow had experienced calf soreness after the first practice of camp. And that's why he had a sleeve over that calf today. So, uh, thanks for joining us, Chris. Your reaction to this injury, and I know you suffered a calf injury during your playing career. So, if you could just take us through that experience, was like for you as well.
1: Yes, moment. Well, the fact that Joe Burrow had to be carted off ain't a good sign. Because if it was on the milder side with the calf strain, a player would be able to walk off the field on his own volition. But the fact that they had to cart him off lets me know that this this is of the more severe variety. We'll have to wait and see what the MRI report is and and what the athletic trainers are saying. But uh, this, this is not a good situation if you're a Bengals fan. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that Joe Burrow can't be back before week one. But I, what I will tell you is with my own experience with calf injuries, I mean, I suffered a calf injury when I was with the New York Giants in 2009. That kept me out half the season. I had to have surgery to cauterize a leaky blood vessel. That's how severe Ugh. some calf injuries can be, and so we'll just have to wait and see once we get more information out of Cincinnati. But this is not a good sign for the Bengals, a team that had not only AFC North title aspirations, but championship aspirations.
3: I'm not ready to speak all that stuff in the past tense just yet. I do kind of want to see what the timetable is, but if he does have to miss... Any regular season time, Canty? What does this do for the for the balance of power? In listen, in an AFC North, where I, I don't I don't think there's a team in that division that anybody wants to see on their schedule.
1: Well, no, not at all. I mean, think about it this way: the two teams at the bottom, the Cleveland Browns, who were in year two of Deshaun Watson with a full off season to get acclimated to his teammates, and then the Pittsburgh Steelers with Mike Tomlin, who's never been under five hundred in fifteen years being at the helm with that franchise. Yeah, this is probably the toughest division in all of football. So there is no margin for error for the Cincinnati Bengals. And so suffering this type of setback, if Joe Burrow has to miss extended time, ain't a good thing
2: again, we will keep you updated as we get more information. Joe Burrow, Bengals quarterback, carted off the field today. His head coach, Zach Taylor, saying that he suffered a calf strain. Well, I want to ask you about the other news of the day, Chris Canty, and that's coming out of Denver. So Denver Broncos head coach, Sean Payton, he did an expansive and pretty pointed interview with USA Today. He called Nathaniel Hackett's era with the Broncos one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. And he said that there were 20 dirty hands around Russell Wilson's career-worst season as a quarterback in Denver. Your reaction when you heard some of these comments, it was very surprising to me to hear Sean Payton be so pointed about another NFL head coach. Usually we don't see NFL head coach-on-coach crime like this.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, I was with Sean (laughs) when he was the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. He's a Bill Parcells disciple. He's going to speak his mind. If somebody asks him the question, he's going to give him a point-blank answer. But uh to your point about him trying to defend his quarterback, that's all well and good, but, I mean, I don't know that a head coach that is – that's staunch in terms of what it takes in establishing a culture is going to vibe well with a quarterback that was given carte blanche last year in Denver remember the reason why Russ wanted out of Seattle is because he wanted more say in the organization he got more say in a shiny brand new contract out in Denver and it turned out to be an abject failure so I'm curious to see how the marriage between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson is going to work now based on the reports that we've been hearing this offseason Sean has got rid of the office that Russ had that was on the second floor with the front office and the coaching staff. He got rid of all the parking spaces that Russell Wilson felt like he was entitled to in year one in Denver. So we'll see how it all goes in terms of Peyton being the new sheriff and laying down the law out there in Denver. But I got to say, guys, I'm skeptical when it comes to both personality and style of play. The two – Entities in Denver, Peyton and, and and Russell Wilson meshing well together, and that leading to success for the Broncos.
3: And we, it was it was funny. Smallman said the same thing. She's like, "Listen, if you want to if you want to send a message to your team about their own level of distraction, their own level of just extra, just everything extra off the field, you need to look at your quarterback, Mister uh,
1: Unlimited." <laughs> and, and it was a No trem- he seemed real limited last year. The <laughs> oh, yeah. lows in QBR completion percentage, touchdown interception mm. ratio, yeah. and a career high in sacks. Yeah, he seemed real limited yeah
3: Yeah, 55 (laughs) real limited 55 sacks I'm curious knowing what you know about Sean Payton knowing about the Bill uh, uh, Parcells uh, coaching tree it seems like though there's a code among coaches where you don't so aggressively criticize another head coach who's still active who's still in the league were you surprised at that level of fire that he had for Nathaniel Hackett
1: no Nathaniel (laughs) Hackett is an easy target He's an easy target, guys. I mean, listen, he—he his claim to fame is being drinking buddies with Aaron Rodgers. I I mean, you know, when Mm -hmm. we look at his resume, not to say that he's not a competent NFL assistant coach, but he's clearly not a head coach. He was out over his skis last year in Denver. And so we'll see how that all works out. But one thing became apparently clear with Sean Payton's comments and with the commitment that the organization made to Sean Payton this offseason If things don't go right in 2023 for the Broncos, it ain't going to be on the head coach. It's going to be on the quarterback. There's a lot on the line for Russell Wilson, not only in terms of how we perceive him, but what his legacy in the National Football League will ultimately be.
2: Chris Canty joining us here on Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80. I'm Michelle Smallman alongside Randy Scott. One more question about Sean Payton and Russell Wilson that I had for you. So one of the things that Sean Payton said in USA Today was he, he kind of pointed the finger again at Nathaniel Hackett uh for allowing Russell Wilson's personal quarterback coach, Jake Heaps, into the team building. He said that wasn't Russell's fault. That was the parents who allowed it. That's not an incrimination on him, but an incrimination on the head coach, the GM, the president and everybody else who watched it all happen. And and Chris, I understand that he's trying to point the finger at Nathaniel Hackett and say no, no, Russell Wilson can this this is a reclamation project. He hasn't lost it. But I think he subliminally is is showing us why Russell Wilson is having problems in different places that he kind of acts like he's bigger than the team or that he's more important than everybody else. Am I reading that right?
1: Well, here's the thing. You can't say that about Seattle's program with Pete Carroll and John Schneider. That's a functional franchise. They've had a lot of success. <laughs> right. Think about it. I want th- yeah. to say eight of the 10 years that Russ was there, they were in the postseason. So it can't be because the head coach and the general manager didn't necessarily do the things that were, were, were necessary to, to compete at the highest level. It's just that the quarterback was trying to buck the trends. He was trying to buck the authority. He wanted to have. More say in the organization like you see more prominent quarterbacks in the National Football League had. He wanted the kind of swing that you see quarterbacks around the NFL typically get when they get the big contracts. And that wasn't going down in Seattle, go the trade, to Denver. But sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you is getting exactly what you want. And Russ got exactly what he wanted in Denver last year. It was his show, and it was awful. And so they brought in Sean Payton to fix it to the tune of $18 million a year and forking over a first-round pick to the Saints in order to acquire his services. If Sean Payton can't get him right, can't nobody fix Russell Wilson.
3: Yeah, it's starting to it really is feeling like a last chance. Like last chance you has been relocated uh, out 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 to Denver. I, I did find it interesting what Sean Payton had to say about the Jets, sort of a foreboding, like it's not even a divisional team, right, for for the Broncos, but he's saying, You watch, it's coming for them. Hard knocks, all of it. He itemized some things. He had them very fresh in their own mind. And maybe that's the Nathaniel Hackett connection. But I loved what Robert Sala had to say back, we're going to play it for everybody. Yeah, I know you've heard it, Canty. We're going to play it and then get your reaction to it.
4: Well, I'm not going to acknowledge Sean on that. It is you know he's been in the league a while, he can say whatever the hell he wants. But as far as you know what we have going on here, I kind of live by saying if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. So hate away. Obviously, we're doing something right if you got to talk about us when we don't play it till week four. You know the guys in our locker room, they they've earned everything that's coming to them and really excited about what's going on i think hackett's doing a phenomenal job here him the uh, coaching staff is doing a phenomenal job and and we're focused on us i get it there's a lot of external noise there's a lot of people who are hating on us there's a lot of people looking for us to fail there's a lot of crows pecking at our neck uh but all you can do is spread your wings keep flying high until those crows fall off and suffocate from the inability to breathe but really 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 excited about the group we have the coaching that's going on and uh but I'm going to keep our focus on us and making sure that we're prepared every single day to do the best we can and uh, learn from our past and grow with, grow with every, every moment that we have. Every? Hey! <laughs> shout out. Hey. Rico
3: Richie, shout out. Now, every time I hear that, I hear something new. And I heard that whole crows crows suffocate, they fall <laughs> off. Like I, I don't know where we're getting with that. But you hear that from Salah. Let's say you're in that Jets. Let's say you're playing for the Jets, Chris Canty. What's your reaction to what your coach said?
1: Well, Sean Payton just did Rob Sala solid, right? He gave him bulletin board material. Like, look, everybody in the National Football League is doubting us. They're saying we're, we're all hype. They're saying that we're on hard knocks and all of this stuff. We're going to be distracted. Let's guess what? We're going to go out week one and kick everybody's teeth in. And, and we have something to say about what our season is going to look like in comparison to the Denver Broncos in week five. I can't wait for that matchup in Mile High Stadium. I'm going to get my popcorn ready because there's going to be a lot of fireworks. But again, if you have the kind of expectations that are on the Jets, you need to find a way as a head coach to create a sense of urgency every single day and this only serves to help the New York Jets. We're early in training camp. It's going to be the dog days of camp in a few mm-hmm. weeks. Like they've got more preseason games than anybody else. They got to play four this year because of the Hall of Fame game. This is exactly the type of thing that you want to light a fire under your team early on in training camp and have that sustained throughout the entirety of the preseason because this is what it's going to take in order to get the Jets prepared to realize the expectations that are on them coming into this season. So, I mean, if you're Rob Sala, you got to defend your team while not disrespecting Sean Payton, but quietly behind closed doors. Him and Joe Douglas are high-fiving because this is exactly the type of motivation that you're looking for. Most of the time, you got to generate that internally, but now when you have a head coach with the pedigree of Sean Payton taking shots at you, second day of training camp, this is exactly what you're looking for.
2: So, Chris Candy, do you think there's too much attention on the Jets right now? I, I, they knew that by having Aaron Rodgers on the team, you were inviting a lot of this in. You knew with hard knocks that you were putting yourself right in the line of fire. This is a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 2010. And it seems like every day they're in the headlines for one thing or another. All of this pressure surrounding them. Do you think that they have too much attention on them right now?
1: Well, well Smallman, I, I mean, listen, Any time that you have a situation where the four-time MVP quarterback that you traded for says the first time he's in the building that the one Lombardi trophy that the Jets have looks a little lonely, the expectations have been set. Mm -hmm. When you look at the trade compensation that they sent to the Packers, a first-round pick swap in 2023, a second-round pick in 2023, a conditional second-round pick in 2024 that will likely turn into a first-round pick based on playtime incentives for Aaron Rodgers. Like, they've given up a haul in order to get Rogers' services, and then the quarterback turns around and gives the franchise back $35 million so they can do everything it takes to put together a winner over the next two years? Yeah, the expectations are going to be through the roof. But that's because this team has the talent, they have the personnel to accomplish the ultimate goal, which is holding up the Lombardi. So when you look at their defense, it's championship caliber. Think about this, guys. The Jets were 7-10 and 10 last year. 7-10. and 10. If their offense scored league average in every game, which was twenty point twenty one points last year, they would have been 11-6. and That's how good the Jets' defense is. Now, for comparison, Aaron Rodgers over the last three years has been held under 21 points 12 times out of a possible 53 games. You mean to tell me that Aaron Rodgers can't be the difference in this team not only getting to the postseason but competing at the championship levels? Of course he can. But the biggest challenge for the Jets... It's not anything to do with their personnel. Quite frankly, it really isn't anything to do with their coaching staff. It's adjusting to the learning curve with dealing with championship aspirations and learning how to win when it matters most at the highest levels of the sport. Believe me, that's not an easy thing to do. When I came from the Dallas Cowboys in 2009, I had to understand what it took to win at a championship level with the New York Giants. Now, thankfully, they had a quarter of players that did it in 2007, and so I got to ride that wave in 2011. But there is a learning curve that comes along with winning championships and for a franchise that has the longest postseason drought in North American team sports, that is going to be the biggest challenge in terms of the Jets getting over the hump and getting it done. All
3: right, Chris Canty, it's a tremendous point, a series of them, quite frankly. One thing I have said, and I've wondered aloud, and you're the perfect guy to ask because you played the position... If a defense that played at the level that the Jets did last year, you just spouted off the the, the stats there, is it sort of human nature for a defense to look around and say, oh, we don't have Zach Wilson holding us back anymore. We don't have to be all-world everything and win us games. And I I say that to say, will the defense regress statistically in some area, maybe points allowed or whatever, because they know – they have a competent quarterback. You know what I mean? They have eight. So they don't have to, you know, hold the opposing team to thirteen points. And if they you know, if if the Patriots score four, 14, the, the Jets are guaranteed to lose. No, now we have this quarterback over here. And we see it in baseball. You know, the the Mets know if Jacob deGrom's pitching, they only need you know, back in the day they only needed three runs and they'd win whereas if you know Matt Harvey was out there they had to
1: score 10 you know what i'm saying like like is there
3: something in your mind that clicks as a defender where it's like okay we can let our foot off the gas however slightly because we actually have a competent offense
1: the irony of the analogy is that when Jacob Degrom pitches, he didn't get the he run got- support with the Mets. That <laughs> right, he's for. right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the guy pitches seven innings, a two-run ball, and yeah. the Mets would lead, lose three to two. No, but decision. anyway, to, to 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 your example, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, I really don't, Randy. I mean, when you look at this defense, they got all-pro players on all three levels. Quentin Williams, all-pro last year. C.J. Mosley, mm-hmm. all-pro last year. Uh, Sauce Gardner, All-Pro last year. You you've got one of the best cornerback tandems in the entire National Football League in DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. You've got two competent veteran safeties with, with 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 really good pedigree in Jordan Whitehead and Adrian Amos. I mean, they got John Franklin Myers on one end, Carl Lawson coming back healthy on the other end. You got Jermaine Johnson, a first-round pick from last year. You got Will McDonald, who is a strip sack expert out of Iowa State in the first round this year. Solomon Thomas as a rotational defensive lineman. Al Woods, rotational. Like you've got so. Much- many pieces on that defense and you've got a guy that understands how to put it all together and rob solid remember he was the architect for how they play defense out in san francisco Mm -hmm. D'Amico ryan's just just uh picked up the baton uh, last couple of years but i'm just saying they have all the ingredients on that side of the ball to be championship caliber i don't see them taking a step back if anything they're going to have a little extra gas because they know that their offense is not going to be an impediment to them having success
2: Chris Canty joining Randy Scott and Michelle's moment on Canty and Carlin here on ESPN Radio. And Chris, we of course have to ask you about the biggest story coming out of baseball. The Angels rolling the dice, seeing what happens. They're hanging on to Shohei Otani. They go out, they get Lucas Giolito, who's arguably the best pitcher out on the market. They get another pitcher. They're going for it. They're making a playoff push. What do you think about Perry Manazian and the Angels' approach here?
1: I love it. I love it. And of course, Artie Moreno signed off on it, but once upon a time, Shohei Otani had his pick of teams that, that wanted him and he chose to go to the Angels. The Angels are saying, we're trying to give this dude a reason to stay with us. We just gotta give him something. He's already expressed that he wants to win going back to the World Baseball Classic and playing for Japan. Like, this guy is prioritizing winning. We just got to show him that it's possible here in Anaheim. And I think by going out and getting Lucas Giolito, you're solving a big problem. The problem with the Angels ain't scoring runs. They're seventh in runs scored in Major League Baseball. The issue is run prevention. Their staff ERA is 20th. So going out and getting an arm like Lucas, G- Lucas Giolito, probably one of the best arms that was available at the trade deadline was a smart move. They're going to put themselves in position to try to make a push for this wild card. they are four games back at the last wild card with two months of baseball left to go. It's not insurmountable. So I love the decision. You're going to get Mike, Tra- Mike Trout back in a couple of weeks. So I'm all about what the the Angels are doing in terms of trying to I guess, in effect, recruit Shohei Otani by playing good baseball on the dime in the next two months.
2: Always love chatting with Chris Canty here on Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Chris, thanks for the time. Have a great rest of your... Uh, what are you calling it, Randy Scott? A pre-kend? pre yeah. The well, pre
3: My man's going to go play nine holes of golf here at like
1: 6 o'clock. Yeah, it's actually my 20... It's actually... Another nine holes after 18 <laughs> holes, so 27 holes of golf. Is wow. that too much? Is that, that, sounds too, much? Like is that too much? Asking That's for a friend. friend. Is that too, too much? much. <laughs> is
2: that too much? Yeah. Too much. Too <laughs> much. Not if you love it, though, Chris. Fairways and there. greens. Let's go. Have a good time. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> he is Randy Scott. I'm Michelle Smallman. And coming up next on Canteen Carlin, Joe Burrow, Bengals quarterback, carted off of training camp practice today after suffering a calf injury. We're going to go out to Cincinnati and get the latest. Keep it here on ESPN Radio.
0: This is the Canty and Carlin podcast.
2: Alongside Randy Scott, I'm Michelle Smallman. You're listening to Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Breaking news coming out of the NFL. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow carted off the field today during training camp. His head coach, Zach Taylor, saying that he suffered a calf strain. We go out to Cincinnati right now, and we're speaking with James Rapine. He's the publisher of Sports Illustrated's AllBengals.com. And, James, you were there today. You had boots on the ground in Cincinnati. You watched Joe Burrow get carted off. Can you tell us what you saw? Just describe the situation for us.
5: It was a normal passing play. Joe Burrow was rolling out to his right and must've just stepped wrong or or whatever he did that activated in that right leg and instantly just started hopping on his left leg and didn't put any pressure uh, on his right leg, any weight at all and took a few steps on that left leg hopping before going to the ground. And instantly it just looked ugly, I guess would be a a good way to describe it. Mm. And the trainers didn't waste much time. The cart was probably out there within a minute or two, and they they weren't stretching the calf or anything like that because it is hot. It's really hot right now. So you're thinking, oh well, maybe it's a a, a cramp. But they didn't try to stretch him out at all. So mm-hmm. uh, the cart was out there, and, and they got him in the cart and, and back to the facility pretty quickly.
3: Yeah, heat. I mean, temperature about 95, and it's humid. There's an excessive mm-hmm. heat warning in Cincinnati today. I'm wondering what what the mood, like what the reaction was. I don't know. If fans are, are allowed at this part of training camp. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's just if it's just the media or what, but. But was it was it quiet? Was there were there concerns? Was there a, oh no in the crowd? Like like yeah. like the, the the unknown is the scariest part right now. I would think,
5: no doubt about it. And yeah, there was there was certainly a gasp. I think even among players, I know Ted Karras, the Bengal center, described it that way that he gasped because he was running kind of alongside Burrow as he was scrambling and and saw it out of the corner of his eye. And so yeah, there were fans in attendance and it was silent and you know how football practice is is it picks up right away so before he was off the field they were back to team drills which that's that's normal for for coaches to just keep things rolling it was towards the end of practice they probably had a few plays left anyways and and so they wanted to keep things rolling but yeah there was instant concern worry and and I I think that that's kind of where everyone is right now when it comes to Burrow.
2: James Rapine is joining us on Canteen Carlin. He's the publisher of Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated it's all com. And, uh, James, what is the concern level after practice? We know that head coach Zach Taylor said mm-hmm. that Joe Burrow's injury is a calf strain. But can you tell us about the tone afterwards? What what does it feel like the concern level is?
5: Yeah, I, obviously there's a ton of concern outside the building. I, I think inside, and I was in the locker room. Open locker room was after practice. And so I got to, to see different players go into the, the training room, come out of the training room. And I'm not a, a body language expert, but it really did feel like they were pretty optimistic. So it it, it doesn't feel like a disaster scenario. I don't want to jinx it, but it, it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, it feels like the Bengals avoided that potential disaster. So we'll see. But, you know, maybe the Bengals players are, are the best actors in the world, but it, it does <laughs> seem like their body language, they were encouraged after coming going in and then coming out of the training room. And I assume talking with Joe or talking with trainers because the training room is right next to the locker room. So they were able to to get in touch with him and chat with him in person.
3: I I don't know what this, what this does for contract talks. It's, probably not gonna speed not gonna speed anything up. But for this to happen the day after Burrow's like, hey, the contract happens when it happens and I'm you know happy for for Justin Herbert, but you know what it is what it is, you know, saying all the right things, but this does sort of put into perspective exactly how much of this franchise's future is resting on Burrow and how much of Burrow's financial future is resting on the franchise curious if you looked into a crystal ball here when a long-term deal gets done with a quarterback that everybody seems to think is next in line
5: yeah i think the all of the size and concern and and thoughts and reaction to this just show how valuable he is to the franchise and so uh, you know assuming that this is and i'm not saying it's a calf strain but assuming it's something like that where it's A multi-week injury and nothing disastrous which it feels like it's trending that way but I obviously don't want to jinx that. I think that a contract still gets done. I think he's just so valuable to the franchise and maybe this is the time where they can sit down and hammer it out if he does have to miss some of camp or all of the preseason so to speak. So I still think it gets done. Earlier this week Bengals owner Mike Brown saying that he's the heart of the Bengals and I don't think that's changed even a little bit after today. If anything, it's it's heightened because the concern level uh, was certainly heightened when he went down today.
2: James Rapine, he's the publisher of Sports Illustrated's com. And uh, last thing for you, James, outside of Joe Burrow and the injury today and obviously the contract conversation, what other observations can you tell us that you've gleaned from being out at Bengals camp? What other uh, notes have you gotten about where this team's at right now?
5: I think the offensive line, it's been such a hot-button topic, right, for years and years, even pre-Joe Burrow at Bengals training camp, the offensive line has been a, a topic. I think they're going to be pretty good. And they obviously added Orlando Brown Jr. this offseason. Jonah Williams is playing on the fifth-year option at, at right tackle. They bring back the interior. I think that you know a lot of people have said how for how many years now that the Bengals need to be able to protect Joe Burrow. I think they're going to be able to do that this year. So we'll see. Obviously, today's injury was a, a non-contact scramble out of the pocket injury. He wasn't really under pressure. I just think he was trying to keep his eyes downfield, normal play. So uh, yeah, I think this offensive line is going to be pretty good.
2: Be sure to follow James Rapine on social media at James Rapine. He's the publisher of Sports Illustrated's AllBengals.com. Joining us from Cincinnati to talk about Joe Burrow being carted off the field today with a calf injury. James, we know a lot's happening in the moment. We appreciate the time.
5: Of course. Thanks for having me.
2: Alongside Randy Scott, I'm Michelle Smallman, and coming up next, we continue our ESPN Radio NFL 2 days and we examine the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll talk about that next here on ESPN Radio.
3: We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at
0: LQ.com. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a AM member FDIC. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.
3: Hey, let's go do our job, man.
0: NFL Nation 2 a Time is here! On ESPN Radio. The Las Vegas Raiders. 58! This is Raiders reporter Paul Gutierrez, and the biggest storyline for Las Vegas wonders if Jimmy Garoppolo is an upgraded quarterback over Derek Carr. The Raiders believe so. Otherwise, they would not have cut a nine-year starter and signed the oft-injured Garoppolo. The thinking is, a healthy Garoppolo is indeed an upgrade in this offensive system and his familiarity with coach Josh McDaniel's scheme from their time together in New England. Granted, they were last together in 2017, but using Jared Stidham as an example, Stidham looked more comfortable in his two starts to end last season than Carr did in 15 games. Remember, McDaniel's scheme was the only one Stidham had known since entering the NFL in 2019. If familiarity breeds contempt, the Raiders hope it also brings success. Countdown to kickoff with NFL Nation Two-A-Days on ESPN Radio.
2: We do continue our ESPN Radio NFL (laughs) Two-A-Days examining right now the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm Michelle Smallman. He's Randy Scott, Canteen Carlin on ESPN Radio. And I always love hanging out with Randy Scott, especially on a pre-kend. Pre-kend, come on. Especially today, because we're talking about the Raiders and Randy Scott is a Raiders fan. So I know he's going to have a lot of insight and a lot to say about this team. <laughs> but we've got to start there. We've got to start with the quarterback. Obviously, Josh McDaniels is bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo. They move on from Derek Carr, and he thinks that despite the injuries, the familiarity will breed success. What do you expect from Jimmy Garoppolo? Randy Scott.
3: Uh, if he's if he's healthy, I expect a m- middle-of-the-road season. I, I expected a 3,700 passing yard season, a 25-touchdown season season maybe 11 interceptions. I still expect them to be a ground-focused team, and that's what's that's what scares me. You know, there are, there are reports out uh, the Raiders are trying to shop and have been shopping, just getting no nibbles on Hunter Renfro. That doesn't make any sense to me. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a bomber down the field. He's not a quarterback that Al Davis uh, necessarily would have loved. Um, you know, Al Davis loved deep routes and deep crossers, and that's not exactly, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's game. And Hunter Renfro is an excellent route runner. And Jimmy Garoppolo, his skill set dovetails nicely with Renfro. But Renfro is expensive. They're moving on from him. Okay. My fear is Josh McDaniels, who turned Derek Carr into a – or whose system turned Derek Carr into a turnover-prone quarterback, mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, we we all love Tim Tebow. Um, you know, Josh McDaniels thought Tim Tebow was a first-round Draft pick at quarterback in the NFL. Um, I say that to say that Josh McDaniels' non-Tom Brady track record is not stellar at the right. quarterback position. So I worry about the impact that McDaniels' system and McDaniels' own rigidity within the system is gonna have on a guy in Jimmy Garoppolo who, oh, by the way, is gonna lose one of the best slot receivers in football. Now, Devontae Adams is still there. Devontae Adams one more thirteen hundred receiving yard is five uh thirteen hundred receiving yard season is five in a row. Devontae Adams' production will be there. I worry that the Patriots West that Josh McDaniels is trying to build... Uh, with Jacoby Myers, I I worry that Myers is not up to the task of being the star that perhaps McDaniels thinks he will be. I also worry that Josh McDaniels or uh, Josh Jacobs rather is being run into the ground. Mm -hmm. He had 393 touches last season, 53 receptions, and 340 carries. To do that in back to back seasons when your name is not Derrick Henry does not compute with success. Doesn't happen. And oh, by the way, you're not paying him. So he's not there. He's not there. Your window to sign him to a long-term contract has closed. So Josh McDaniels, this offseason, has actively shopped Hunter Renfro, has run off Darren Waller, the, the a top-five tight end in football, and has alienated the only consistently successful aspect of this offense in Josh Jacobs, a guy who's still in his prime, but you cannot use the same way that you tried to use last season, but you can't use him at all because he's not a camp, has inside the franchise tag. So offensively, I expect a middle-of-the-road season for Jimmy Garoppolo, and that would be a moderate miracle if it happened. Now, defensively, I think they'll be a little better. It's hard to be worse, but I think they'll be a little better. I think Marcus Peters helps them. But then again, there's the age-old question. If Marcus Peters is the answer, you need to rethink the question. You need to come up with a better question. And I don't know what we'll see from Tyree Wilson, the first-round draft pick out of uh, Texas Tech. He might be fantastic, and if if he is... Chandler Jones and Max Crosby combined with the Young Buck, that could be a great defensive line. But it's a passing league, and Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes get the ball out quickly, so Marcus Peters is going to be relied upon. To me, if this is an 8-9 and nine season, which is to say watching the playoffs on TV along with the rest of the league, that's a success. I fear it's going to be like a 7-10 and 10 season and you're drafting in the teens. And that, to me, is football purgatory. But that's that's what I think the Raiders will do.
2: I could feel it in your voice Randy oh, man. I wish I had a concern tracker there how many times <laughs> you said concern I think we were we we're pushing I'm sorry, is that a crutch? No, no, because that's where you are. If you're a Raiders fan, that's where you are, is you're existing in concern. You're existing in concern that your quarterback is going to be healthy as he is coming back from surgery on his foot. You're hoping that, uh, or you're concerned that he slots into McDaniel's system and he has success. You brought up the, the term Patriots West. Yeah. And I love that because clearly Josh McDaniels is trying to replicate the success that he had in New England and i i wonder why that's not a bigger talking point as we assess this team why does he have to try to duplicate everything that he did in New England this is not that same program this is this is not the same personnel i i see so many of these pieces of the Bill Belichick coaching tree that try to be Bill Belichick. They try to do what they they knew to be successful in New England, and it doesn't work out, Randy. We see it over no. and over and over again. How many of these guys go back to New England? How many of these guys realize that this is not the path to take? Stop trying to be Bill Belichick. You're <laughs> never going to be Bill Belichick. Creme Brulee can never be Jello. You know what I'm saying? It's just not going to work out. I mean... So I'm just surprised that Mark Davis would think that this this is the pathway to success. Letting Josh McDaniels try to turn them into Patriots West and bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo. I, th-
3: I think it's Jello can ever be creme brulee in, in this in this you know respect. I mean? exactly. But no, it's a fantastic analogy. I'm looking around: Philip Dorsett, former Patriot; Jacoby <laughs> Myers, former Patriot; Justin Heron, former Patriot; there Brian Hoyer is the backup quarterback, former <laughs> Patriot. Like there, there is that. This is a franchise as well where. You could set your. I mean, when it was uh, when it was Mike Mayock, and when it was uh, John Gruden. If you played for Clemson or you played for Alabama, you were higher on the Raiders' draft board than you were on any other team's draft board. Okay, sure. um, Alex Underwood. I mean, they they were, they were guys that made no sense as fr- Colton Miller as first. Well, Colton Miller was UCLA, but like guys who made no sense as first round draft picks, and the Raiders seemingly only watched the college football playoff. And that was it. Those were the only guys they drafted. And so there's a little bit of a funneling of football focus here with Josh McDaniels where it's like, hey, if you play for the Patriots, you're worth more money in free agency or offseason or trade picks or whatever it is. And it's just so frustrating because, as we said earlier in the show, some coaches are just meant to be coordinators and not head coaches.
2: And I think we might be seeing that in Las Vegas. Randy Scott telling you. The key word for the Vegas Raiders this year is concern. He is Randy Scott. I'm Michelle Smallman, Canty and Carlin here on ESPN Radio. And coming up next, we have some breaking news coming out of the NFL. Joe Burrow carted off the field with an injury. We give you the latest next.
1: Thanks
0: for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.